You are now listening to British Brothers, the True Cry Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host, Stuart Blues, and this is the 10th and final episode of Season 7. Can't believe we've finished seven seasons already. Thanks so much for sticking by me. Did I think I'd make it this far? Probably not, if I'm being truthful. I hope you've had the chance to listen to last week's episode on the case of Mark Bridger and April Jones. Please give that a listen if you haven't already. Before we get into this week's episode, let's break the ice as we always do. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this. True facts that sound like bullshit. Did you know that platypuses can poison you? They're one of just a few mammals to produce their own venom, which is injected via barbs on the male's hind legs. Probably wouldn't kill you, but it also wouldn't be pleasant. Platypuses are also, by the way, one of only two mammals that lay eggs. The show's final opening icebreaker segment is this. Random quote of the day. British people would die for their right to drink themselves to death. That was said by John Oliver, who apparently is a comedian. He's not wrong, though. This week's case was suggested via Instagram by listener Tom Walker. Full disclosure, this episode will likely be a fair bit shorter than normal due to the lack of resources available covering the case. It's still a story worth telling and listening to. I just thought I'd give you a wee heads up. We're in the market town of Barnsley, South Yorkshire this week. The events I'm about to discuss within Barnsley took place in the village of Cuddeth. Here are five quick fire facts about Cuddeth. Number one, in Storrs Mill Wood are a series of stone carvings known as the Cuddeth Stone Faces. Local sculptor and artist Melvin Dickinson and his friend Billy Johnson are responsible for the carvings. Number two, the community and village of Cuddeth came together to show their thanks to Paul Sammy Goose, Barnsley's last post-bugler, by producing a special mosaic artwork. It's positioned on the Star Hotel next to the Remembrance Bureau. Number three, Cuddeth has a twin town in Saskatchewan, Canada, with a population of just 850 people. Number four, legendary British talk show host Michael Parkinson, CBE, was born in Cuddeth. And number five, there is an early 18th century guide stoop or milestone located in Cuddeth that is classed as a grade two listed building. It's just a tiny small square post with chamfered edges inscribed on two sides with the distances to Wakefield, Pontefract Road and Penniston Road. Probably the smallest grade two listed building in the UK, I would have thought. Don't quote me on that. As of the 2011 census, the estimated population of Cuddeth was 10,977. Let me quickly advise you that this podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. As always, listener discretion is advised. Our villain this week was born in roughly 1991, and his full name is Liam Aaron Naylor. Born and raised in Barnsley, Liam lived in a terraced house on Junction Street, a mile southeast of the town centre. Unlike the many generations of hard-working folk produced by the former mining town before him, Liam didn't work to earn money. His sole source of income was financial support from the UK government in the form of benefits. Despite his lack of income, Liam would go on to bring four children into the world, the first three of which were to the same woman. 
We're in a position this week where the only information available about our villain is what has come to light since he committed the crimes I'll come on to shortly. I can't give you a solid portion of content discussing his early life and formative years because it simply isn't available. With that in mind, let's begin our story on November 1st, 2013. On that day, an infamous British tabloid talk show aired an episode on which our villain was a guest. The show I'm referring to ran from July 2005 to May 2019 when it was cancelled after one of its guests died a week after filming an episode. Steve Diamond took his own life after the show's host informed him that he'd failed a lie detector test. If you're from the UK, you've probably guessed which show I'm talking about. For those that have no idea, I'm referring to The Jeremy Kyle Show. Think Jerry Springer, but with fewer chants and bell ringing. Liam was on the show to prove that he was the father of his ex-girlfriend's third child. Dads demand DNA tests was the tagline of the episode. That tagline is a tad misleading though in the case of Liam. It was actually his ex-girlfriend who made contact with the show. Liam was then contacted by one of the show's producers and asked if he wanted to come on. After some initial name-calling aimed at his ex, Liam accepted the producer's offer and a filming date was set. Once he'd arrived at the filming location, which I believe was in Manchester, Liam gave a sample of his DNA and was provided with a hotel room until the results could be determined. Filming commenced the following day once the results were in. Continuing his arrogant hardman bravado backstage, Liam and his cronies were reportedly rude, disrespectful and far from a delight to be around. As host Jeremy Kyle gave the audience his opening gambit, Liam continued to spew insults aimed at his ex into the camera backstage. He was then called out as the show's first guest and suddenly the cocksure man from backstage turned into a bit of a shrinking violet. Struggling to string two words together, the best Liam could come up with when questioned by Kyle was to repeatedly inform him that he gets every woman he sleeps with pregnant. To cut a long story short, Liam was confirmed to be the father to his ex's third child, to which he replied, I'm the father because I'm super sperm. Another woman had fallen pregnant after sleeping with Liam, so he explained to host Kyle that his fourth kid was on the way. During my research, I found a four-minute long video on YouTube titled Liam Naylor's Personal Statement. It's the only video on his channel and has just short of 4,000 views. The video was published on November 7th, 2013, six days after the Jeremy Kyle Show episode aired. He is accompanied by a woman whose identity I can't confirm, but she appears to have been the one who accompanied Liam on the show. Together, in their broader-than-broad South Yorkshire accents, they explain that Liam's ex is an unfit mother to Liam's three children and that she had told several men that their third child was, in fact, theirs for financial gain. What I mean by that is they were implying that the mother of the child was receiving maintenance payments from multiple men who all believed they were the child's father. Let's move on from Jezekiel now and jump forward five months to April 2014. This is where our story transitions from being a tabloid talk show to a true crime podcast focusing on murders. Living with Liam at the property on Junction Street were two women. One was Brooklyn Smith and the other was 17-year-old Keely Sweeney. Before moving in with Liam and Brooklyn, Keely had lived with her 75-year-old grandma Doreen Walker on and off for the previous two years. As with Liam, Keely's background is unknown, but at some point she'd become estranged from Doreen after the pair fell out. 
Doreen was a mother of three and grandmother of five who lived in a semi-detached house on Birkwood Avenue in Cuddeth. I must admit it looks a much nicer place to live than Junction Street. Doreen was a quintessential British grandma. She loved her home and family, was very kind and generous with her grandkids and was thoroughly enjoying her golden years. Liam knew Doreen through Keeley and had even stayed at the grandmother's house on occasion. Generous Doreen even provided the pair with cigarettes and alcohol as well as food when they visited. Liam and Keeley's relationship cannot be confirmed. Some sources claim they were once in a relationship, whereas others state they were just close friends. Regardless, they would sometimes play a game in Doreen's house which they called Mission Impossible. The aim of the so-called game was to take advantage of Doreen's partial deafness by sneaking around a house without alarming her and searching for cash to steal. Doreen was on weekly benefits of £82 which she withdrew in cash and kept at home. On April 1st, 2014, Doreen made her weekly trip to collect her pension money, a sum of £104, before returning home. The shopkeeper who handed the cash over recalled Doreen saying that she had fallen out with her granddaughter Keeley. Knowing her schedule well, Liam forged a plan to rob the pensioner's money to fund a big night out he had planned. That's the story he used anyway, though I find it weird that he was planning a big night out on a Tuesday evening. Maybe Tuesday is Barnsley student night. Liam left his house that night shortly after 9pm after telling his roommates that he was off to source some cash. I'm trying to find some money for town tonight, was a text message he sent another friend as he headed out. CCTV cameras spotted Liam Naylor entering Doreen Walker's home at 9.30pm that evening and he wouldn't emerge until almost two hours had passed. As Liam made his way home, he sent messages to his friends informing them that he had sourced some cash for the evening and he was treating them all to a night on the town. All he asked was that they help him in his mission to get absolutely smashed and to lay him out some clothes in preparation for the night ahead. Matthew Potter, another of Liam's friends, was waiting at the house with Brooklyn and Keeley, but none of the three could have expected the sight that greeted them upon Liam's return. He was visibly shaken and irritable. Worse still, he was inexplicably covered, almost from head to toe, in blood. Naturally, Liam was questioned as to the blood's origin. He brushed it off as being the result of a bust-up with a random man armed with a knife that had jumped him as he got out of a taxi. Knowing how hard he wanted to appear to his friends, it's no real shock that Liam came up with this phony story. Better his friends think that he beat up a knife-wielding maniac than reveal the shocking truth of what he'd actually done. Removing his blood-stained clothes and placing them inside a plastic bag, Liam freshened up and got changed. But bizarrely, he brought the bag of blood-stained clothes with him in the taxi they'd ordered. On the way into town, they stopped at an underpass, possibly on Lambra Road, a stone's throw away from the Alhambra shopping centre. It was there where Liam and Keeley set fire to the clothes before continuing their journey. The group of four friends were treated to some drinks by Liam, followed by a post-night out meal at McDonald's. Once full, the foursome hailed a taxi and arrived back at the house on Junction Street at around 1.40am on April 2nd, 2014. Later that morning, Liam and Keeley boarded a train headed for the seaside town of Skegness, located 100 miles east of Barnsley in Lincolnshire. As the day turned into evening, Doreen Walker's family had grown concerned at her lack of contact. A few of her friends and family members visited her home and finally forced their way inside at about half past five. Doreen's son-in-law, Llewellyn Jones, was the one who discovered her badly beaten and lifeless body. 
Emergency responders were called and arrived at the house not long after, but Doreen was pronounced dead at the scene. She had been stabbed a minimum of 40 times, with some sources claiming the exact number was 44, by an 8-inch carving knife that her killer had left embedded in the side of her neck. A post-mortem would later confirm that Doreen's heart had been penetrated, her spinal cord had been cut, and both her nose and right arm were broken. The onslaught had caused several of Doreen's major arteries to sever, which caused her to bleed out. The person responsible for the horrific onslaught on such a frail and harmless pensioner was none other than Liam Naylor, Doreen's granddaughter's friend, who she'd been so kind to in the past. Liam knew that Doreen had collected £104 on the morning of April 1st and wanted it to fund his night out. Robbing the money wasn't enough, though. He felt the need to brutally murder Doreen in the process. After entering her home, Liam attacked Doreen with his bare hands. It's thought that during that initial onslaught, he broke her nose with a punch and broke her right arm by twisting it out of shape. Leaving Doreen alive but in unimaginable pain downstairs, Liam made his way upstairs to her bedroom and headed right for her jewellery box. It's reported by some that Liam had placed the pension money inside the jewellery box earlier that day, hence he knew where to look to retrieve it, but I can't confirm that information. Nevertheless, once the cash had been pocketed, Liam made his way back downstairs and continued attacking Doreen, this time armed with a carving knife. Once he'd accomplished what he'd set out to achieve, he went to the sink, washed the blood from his hands and made his way back to Junction Street. Liam was arrested on April 2nd whilst in Skegness and if I'm not mistaken, he appears to have given himself up after being alerted of Doreen's body being discovered by her family. Keeley was no doubt informed by someone and then told Liam. Ever the bullshitter, Liam came up with a story that implicated the 75-year-old as the attacker, with him being nothing more than a victim who acted in self-defence. He told the officers that Doreen had become enraged after discovering that he'd made his way into her house with the intention of robbing her. She then, according to Liam, launched at him with a knife and, in the scuffle, accidentally fell onto the blade, effectively killing herself. When asked by the officers how he had acquired the nasty cut on his hand, he explained that he had had a fight in the street with a man carrying a knife. That was clearly his go-to story. Liam's blood was later found not only on the carving knife, but also on the handle of the back door at Doreen's house. The evidence for proving Liam was guilty of murder was overwhelming, but he continued to deny being responsible for Doreen's death. His murder trial began on October 2nd, 2014 and lasted two weeks. Despite Doreen being 5 foot 3, weighing a mere 8 stone and suffering from arthritis, Liam said, She basically jumped at me and punched me. As she did so, she jumped into the knife. Regarding his intention to simply rob Doreen, Liam also implicated her granddaughter Keeley by claiming the whole thing had been her idea. Keeley was previously arrested in connection with her grandma's murder and initially released on bail, but I don't think she faced any charges. The jury at Sheffield Crown Court retired on October 16, 2014 and returned just two hours later. They unanimously found Liam Naylor guilty of murdering Doreen Walker. Judge Julian Goose handed Liam a life sentence with a minimum term to serve of 33 years. In his closing statement, Judge Goose said, This was a savage, cruel and brutal attack with a large kitchen knife. You murdered Mrs Walker for her pension money. It was a murder for gain. You went to her home to steal from her, and after murdering her, you stole her pension money. 
I am satisfied this was a murder of particularly high seriousness. Once the trial had concluded, Detective Superintendent Richard Fuchs said, It remains unclear what was going through his mind when he committed one of the most brutal murders I have dealt with in my 29-year career. Whatever motive there was can never excuse the brutality of the assault. It was a brutal, savage and unprovoked attack and the account he put forward that he was acting in self-defence was ludicrous. Doreen's daughter Sharon Jones said the following of her mum in a victim impact statement. She was such a loving, kind woman and saw the good in everybody and was too trusting at times. How could she be taken from us by someone she took into her own home? She didn't deserve to die like this. And that was the story of British murderer Liam Naylor. Thanks again Tom Walker for suggesting that case. Bit of a shorter episode than usual as I mentioned at the start. Sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I hope you enjoyed it all the same. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on the case. I've got four new reviews to read this week. Teddy and Baby left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Titled Great Show, it reads... As a long-time true crime reader, I'm always looking for new podcasts covering the subject. I don't know how I stumbled over British murders, but I'm very pleased I did. Interesting cases, told in a sensitive and detailed way. Loving the regional accent too, not enough of that in media. Recommending all over the place to friends who are also interested in the subject. Keep up the excellent work. Z Christie left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com. Titled A New Favourite, it reads... I'd run out of crime podcasts that hold my interest. So many are scripted to the point of painful to listen to, but it's more like a mate telling you about what happened, which is a far easier listen on such dark subjects. Tony Nickel recommended the show on Facebook by saying, Really enjoying listening to this as I get ready for work. What better way to prepare yourself for the day ahead? My partner thinks I'm weird, but hey-ho. Can I suggest looking at Dr. William Palmer? He's a bit famous my way. You certainly can, Tony. I've now added that to my spreadsheet. Thank you. And finally, Sarah James left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled Fantastic. It reads, I'm working my way through all of the podcasts and I am addicted. I love how Stuart presents them. Lots of historical facts and explanations as well as guests. A true diamond in the myriad of crime podcasts. Thank you, Teddy and Baby, Z, Tony and Sarah for leaving the show such lovely reviews. Suppose you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode. You can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or donate on a one-off basis via Buy Me A Coffee, you can find the links for each of those on BritishMurders.com. I do release fortnightly bonus episodes on Patreon, by the way. A new episode was just released on Monday. You also get access to ad-free episodes if you sign up for a membership. Please continue emailing case suggestions to BritishMurdersPodcast at gmail.com or message me via social media. You will get the episode covered eventually and you'll get a cheeky shout out for your trouble. Next week I'll be releasing part one of the season seven special focusing on the life and crimes of Dr. Harold Shipman. I released last season's special in two parts on the same day and the amount of effort it took almost ended me. So I'm going to revert back to releasing part two a week after I release part one. Just FYI. But that's it for this episode. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio.